0: Nancy Wyman, State Democratic Chairwoman. Nancy, thanks so much for being here. With us today is Nancy Wyman. This is the Donkey Talk Podcast with your host, Connecticut Democratic Party Chairwoman Nancy Wyman.
1: Hi, everybody. It's Nancy Wyman again. It's great to have you back with us. And today is another special day. We have our Secretary of State with us, Denise Merrill. And a little bit about Denise, and I'm going to ask her to fill in all the blanks because she didn't only just graduate from UConn, but she also represented the town as a state representative uh, for 17 years, that town of Mansfield and Chaplin. And, of course, she did serve as our majority leader from 2009 to 2011. And at that time, she decided, hey, she was going to go on to run for Secretary of State on issues that she's always cared about and voting rights and people's rights. And so I'm going to, I think, I'm going to ask Denise to kind of talk to her, really, about how she, where she started out, and how she got from, from all the way across the country to Yukon, <laughs> <UConn. laughs>
0: which is, as you can imagine, a very long story. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you and I have known each other for many, many years, Nancy, yes, and yeah. served together and uh, from the same neck of the woods. So uh, you probably remember that I also started on a board of education in Mansfield uh, right. in about 1991, I think. And um, and we both got into politics kind of the same way because I, I was all about my kids' education. And Mansfield has a terrific... Uh, education system but one of my little darlings I thought wasn't getting the good math program so I banded together with a bunch of other parents and we became activists we mailed people we went to Board of Ed meetings and we did get our way and today he's an engineer so I guess I did the right thing it worked It worked. (laughs) and then you know I think the key thing is someone asked me to run for state rep and I always say that because I think it's so important that we ask people in. And I'm a perfect example of that. If someone hadn't asked me, I'm not sure I would have thought of it on my own. So I was asked. I did run. At first, I ran for the Board of Education. And um, I actually lost my first race. Oh, I always like to say that. That's Because you have to be persistent sometimes. So Absolutely. I was... I didn't get too discouraged. I have to say I was kind of shocked. I thought I was going to win. But I was fairly new to town. Uh, So uh, I ended up running again and winning. And then I went on from there and ran for state representative. And then I was there for 17 years, as you said. And um, I didn't think I'd stay that long doing that either. But, you know, life intervenes. And then I became chair of the Appropriations Committee. And then I was running the floor, you know, so it got more and more interesting. And meanwhile, my kids had grown up. Uh, When I first ran, my children were in middle school, high school. And, of course, now they're long grown and gone. I have six grandchildren now. Um, Which is the best. Yes, it (laughs) is is the the best. best. (laughs) It is the best. Um, So, you know, I I guess there's a lesson there for everybody. Persistence is one of them. And also, you know, saying yes when someone asks you. I know it's it's a well-known fact that many women have to be asked more than once when they go to run for office. And I, I guess I'm no exception. Several people had to talk me into it. But,
1: um, but at the other time, too, nowadays, we are also trying to say to, to the women out there, you know what, you don't have to wait to be asked. That's you know, right. We get out there and uh, really fight for what we believe in, and then use your voice. And, and that's what it's all about now. Is, and this is for men and women. And, and I, and I want to emphasize that we, uh, when we started out, um, we were probably a lot older than other yes. people. And nowadays we need to have people much younger than us. I, you know, I started out when I was like in my 30s thir- already. Me too, and, yeah. You know, and we need people even before that to get out there. The young people now that might not be married or anything else, but it's so important to get people out to, to vote and that's yep. your, your thing, but also getting out people to run for office.
0: Well, that's right. And, and just be civically engaged in general. And, you know, I feel like I'm seeing that for the first time since I, I really first got involved in the 70s in the environmental movement in California. I'm actually from somewhere around San Francisco. And um, I feel like right now we're seeing something similar. That's true. To what went on then, and that that galvanized my entire generation uh, was the environmental movement, and of course Vietnam. Uh, my brother was drafted, like many others. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I I do see. I'm very hopeful about this generation. I see them registering to vote in bigger numbers than we've seen in years. We have the largest registration right now in Connecticut than we've ever had in living memory.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. And
0: of the new registrants since 2016 92,000 of them are between 18 and 24.
1: That is so exciting. Isn't that really it? is exciting and just as long as they get out there and vote yes. and run for <laughs> office which would really would really right. help us out. But even the so this is new and upcoming and so we're celebrating the
0: 100th anniversary Yes, absolutely. 100th anniversary of the women's right to vote, the passage of the 19th Amendment. And uh, we've launched a commission co-chaired by myself and Annie Lamont and uh, Susan Bicewitz, our lieutenant governor. We had a big launch the other day and many yeah. organizations and people involved. And I think it's going to be a great year. Because like 2020, I keep thinking there's something there like 2020 vision. I don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, well, let's
1: hope they have 2020 vision all over for women's right to vote, but also to see that a new president. Yes, uh, <laughs> it is going to be a big year in many ways. <laughs> it really but is.
0: boy, women are coming to life. And, and that's great to see, too.
1: Yeah, and it is, and it was as I travel around the state, and I know you do too, um, we're seeing more and more people attending things, more and more people coming to speak out, more and more people, even at the local level, trying to get involved, and and so that's a really good sign for all of us. It's a good sign for democracy in in the best ways possible, and you know, you know so much about the the voting rights and. Um, and early voting and stuff. We can talk about that just to see how and what we're doing differently and what we're expecting to do.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, we've had, really, since I came in office in 2010, we've tried to modernize our voting System, and that's because I just feel strongly that the more people we have participating, the better off we all are. Absolutely. And so we've done a lot to improve uh, the ease of voter registration. So we now have online voter registration; you can register to vote in about you know a minute if you have a Connecticut driver's license. And we're that's trying to great. expand that to people who don't have Connecticut driver's licenses. Uh, we have uh, same day registration, which is basically if you somehow got left off the list or you, know, you moved and you didn't change your name, you can now correct that right on election day. If you go to town hall, you can register and vote on that day. So that th- these two are game changers just by themselves. The one thing we don't have yet that I think is pretty prevalent across the country, I think now 40 states already have some other days of voting besides election day. And we still don't have that here in Connecticut, despite my best efforts to get it, because our state constitution says we have to only vote on that Tuesday in November.
1: Oh, that's interesting. So but it
0: takes a constitutional amendment to our state constitution to change that.
1: But yet, we have some towns that have elections on a Monday. You yeah, know, right. And is that... And they don't have to go by the state constitution? Not for
0: municipal elections, no. But they still can't have more than one day.
1: That's interesting. So when you say you wanted more than one day, are you saying that you'd want the three days before or
0: the election
1: day? That would be my
0: favorite, actually. Uh, States are all over the place. In Texas, they vote for a month. Uh, In Florida, they vote for 12 days, but they don't open all the polling places. They only open like the libraries or the town halls that are open anyway. And I'm assuming that's because they don't have to pay to open buildings. So there's a lot of ways you can do it. um, But my favorite is three to five days before. It would just take the pressure off Election Day, first of all. You know, with all the concerns now about cybersecurity, it really is getting difficult To manage this one day where everything has to go perfectly. And we've seen some problems in the last few years, you know.
1: We should talk a little bit about that cybersecurity and and what you think should we we should be doing more of or what and how we're feeling.
0: Yeah, I mean this is new since twenty sixteen when we were told, actually not directly, but we heard through a congressional hearing that Connecticut was one of twenty-one states that had been probed by Russian IP addresses from Russian agencies. Literally. Wow. Yes, that actually happened. Now, they didn't get in because we have all the firewalls and whatnot that you have to have. Just, just, just like great. your own computer, you know, um, right. but it's certainly a wake-up call. And then as we got more into it, because I was um, I was president of our National Association at the time, mm-hmm. and we formed a committee with the Department of Homeland Security, and the FBI and the CIA and other agencies to try to form a communication network because it's still ongoing, it's still happening. happening. It was not a one-time occurrence. But the biggest money that foreign countries are putting into is this, what we call the campaign of disinformation, which is all the fake news, fake websites, bots that they have, giving out bad information about where you go to vote, for example. We've actually seen that right here in the state.
1: in in Connecticut.
0: Yes, we had one incident where uh, people were told to vote at the wrong voting location, and this was all done on the internet, on social media, which is where they're doing all this, and they're spending billions of dollars to do it.
1: But who makes, I mean, is it just Russia, or is there other... Countries also?
0: It started out with just Russia, and they are still the biggest actors, according to these, you know, I I now have my security clearance. I go to these top-secret meetings about all this, and there are now other foreign actors, Iran, China, and others, and domestic terrorists, you know, so it's a big it's a big concern. And, you know, all we can do is the best we can, because like anyone, you know, no one's immune from this. I mean, you've seen all the breaches on, you know, banks, Target, you know, we all know about it. But um, the biggest danger is actually at the local level. Because our, you know, our state system, this is all the voter list. It's not where you tabulate your votes. It's just the list.
1: The list itself.
0: Yeah. That's really important for people to understand because when they hear this, they get frightened that somehow their vote is not going to be counted right or something's going to change in the results. That actually would be really, really hard because our tabulators, where you actually put your ballot in the machine, they are not connected to the internet. Nowhere in the country are they connected to the internet. It's all still done by hand. Yeah. And that's a good thing as it turns out.
1: But there's other places, uh, not like Connecticut, that do not have paper ballots at all.
0: Correct. And that is a huge problem. And they're very resistant to change that because it's it's a lot of money. It's millions of dollars to buy new equipment. But yes, that's right. And there's been a lot of issues in court. Some of these matters, like Georgia, just got taken to court because they bought new machines that still didn't have paper ballots.
1: Which is kind of interesting because all the years that... I've been voting. You always voted on paper ballots, yeah, right? Right. And, or, the, or you, you had a machine that you yeah. pushed down the lever, and, and yeah. lever machine, and stuff. And then we went to the paper ballots, and and you know, I, everybody always said, well, but that's not computerized. You know, it's new. It is computerized. They still can count it on the paper ballots, but at least you can look back at it and recheck your exactly. paper ballots. Exactly, and that's a that's a big thing. I still think. Um, yeah,
0: absolutely. You know, it, How ironic that paper turns out to be the best thing, right? <laughs> in right. the end, after,
1: after us all going through and getting rid of paper, now let's yeah. get rid of it. Yeah. put everything on computers, and you know, there's something good about the old days uh, <laughs> at <Yeah>. certain times. <laughs> it really is the um, the. The automatic uh, voter registration stuff. How, how do we um, how do we get on that? So I know you said that that you can do it online. Yeah, but don't, don't, can't you also? Where are other places that you can register to vote?
0: Well, the big one now is DMV. DMV. Now, we always could register to vote at the DMV. They had a little stand that had cards in it, and you would fill, you'd fill—you'd have to fill out the card and give it to the clerk. But it didn't work very well. We didn't get many people doing it. Now, it's part of your whole process of either renewing your license or whatever you're doing at the DMV. And they ask you. They say, oh, you, you can register to vote now. And it goes right into our automatic system if they do it there. So now that part is computerized. Oh,
1: and and sent immediately to the town.
0: Exactly, yeah. And then the registrar still okay it and send you a a card in the mail to confirm it. So you're not really registered until they confirm it at the local level.
1: And then registrar voters do have a hard job sometimes if, if my husband's listening he is a reg- <laughs> just want to make everybody know that he is a registrar of voters and um, we had a big we had a big joke when i was running for controller i asked him to go pick up my laundry for me cuz i was on the road to all the you know all yeah. the towns and he said to me Nancy you know i'm on the ballot this year too and i said michael i know and i know that you need one vote and you so you've got one you might not have the second pick up my laundry please <laughs>
0: But we kid about that a lot <laughs> so, but his job—he's been doing yeah. it for a long time, and it's—it's it, it, not an easy job. No, it is not, and it's getting harder with all the cybersecurity now. They have a whole new set of things they need to know about, like changing passwords and all that stuff. Yeah, and so
1: and a lot of trainings that they're going to yes. to making sure that everything works. And and they work together with the town clerks. Yes, uh, because the yep. town clerks also have a lot to do with our our uh, registrations and and uh, working with our, our elections and stuff. The um, Uh, there was an amendment or something that they were talking about, about 16-year-olds.
0: Yeah. What
1: what was that about?
0: Well, that was another one of our proposals this year from my office. I want 16-year-olds to be able to pre-register to vote. Wouldn't mean they'd be able to vote yet, but there's a lot of evidence, and I'm saying this as an old civics teacher. I was very involved in civic education when I was teaching. And, you know, the sooner you can get kids to feel that they're part of something, the better. And there's a lot Mm -hmm. of evidence that the earlier they get involved, then they're much more likely to follow through and vote later. So what this amendment would do would allow 16-year-olds to pre-register to vote.
1: Okay. So, but they can't vote till they're 18?
0: Right or you know they have to be 18 by election day by election. The, the, we did pass an amendment a couple of years ago that allowed 17 and a half year olds who were going to be 18 by election day to okay. register and vote right, right.
1: so but that's,
0: now this would extend that a little bit more and i think it's a great idea but again we need a, a constitutional amendment and wow. it seems to be harder and harder to get anything passed these days because, frankly, the Republicans block it many times. And it's just been really difficult for me to get anything done at this point um, in the last few years. It's just... We're the, ter- what's, the,
1: what's the reason? I mean, this just seems like good government uh, allowing more, yeah. more people in to, to vote, to register, to partake yeah. in, in, in what our country has been built on. Right.
0: I've you know, it's been a real shock to me, honestly, because you and I have been in politics long enough. We remember it wasn't always like this. No. But now everything seems to be viewed through a partisan lens. And that's that what it means is everything gets stuck. And yeah. it's probably prey to some other issue that's going on between the two parties and and has nothing to do with the issue itself. It's very frustrating.
1: Yeah. yeah you, you talk about that. It's it's like. Uh... Uh, we talk about what's going on in Washington. Yeah. Uh, with Mitch McConnell, McConnell, how he's blocking uh, bills that are aimed to protecting the electoral system. And how? To, why? Why would you do that? And I know he's got. He's been new, now dubbed uh, the Moscow M- Mitch. Moscow Mitch. Moscow right. Mitch.
0: And you know that's exactly. It's the case. You know, Senator Blumenthal and I had a press conference just the other day to urge Congress to act on these electoral issues. I mean, our elections are fundamental to our whole country and our democracy. And they're, they're not providing any funding, even for the states that need to replace those machines that don't have right. paper ballots. They, they have to act. And he's blocking everything, and and very deliberately. And I guess his reasoning is, well, if President Trump isn't going to agree to it, then we're just not going to do it because we won't bother. Well, that's no way to govern. Uh, So You
1: know, he has to understand that there's different um, uh, layers of government. Uh, Yes. You know, we we have different branches of government, right? And there's the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch. And just because one branch or one person yes. might disagree that does not mean that we shouldn't go through the process of the, the democracy that we fought for for so many years to have this and what our country's been built on and why Mitch McConnell thinks just because yeah the, this president um doesn't like something you know that might be today but tomorrow yeah and we can always
0: override
1: if the president doesn't right. like something that's what it's all about
0: and this has been a nonpartisan request from all the secretaries of state. And by the way, most of them are Republican. So it's yeah. not like this is, this is something we all recognize we need to do. And it's, again, it's so frustrating because they're stuck in Congress. And now we're starting to get stuck in Connecticut, which is truly uh-huh. sad.
1: Yeah. And I hopefully we'll see a change around again um, when we served. We did not have that That's uh, right. in the House of Representatives. Um, at least I didn't see it. When I was served there, You know, we worked with both sides of the aisle. We could agree to disagree on certain things. But what we tried to do is get the best bill out as possible. And so sometimes the other side helped you write the bill and yes. might not vote for it, but would help you with their ideas to get it in, in, in a better a better position. Um, I'm hoping that one of these days we see that kind of working together again um, because I, we need to. It's, it's really important for, I think, yes. for our state and for the future. And like like you said, I have grandchildren that live in this state. I right. want them to be happy with the state and grow up in a state that uh, really works together to, to serve people and exactly. the, the people of the state. So it, it's really... A, uh, a tough time for everybody. So, coming down to the kind of the closing, but I have a question as you know, I've been asking everybody that's come on. Um, you know, we all have certain things that we live by when we decided to get into politics. And uh, my thing was my word was my bond. Right, And so, when you think about what you would like to, to say to the people of the state, what you say all the time and what you use as your guiding light, what would that be?
0: Well, I'll preface it by saying. I say this a lot when people ask me, How did you ever get into leadership in the house? You're only the second woman that ever made it happen. And I always say, I listen more than I talk. You have to always be listening to other people and see what they think is important if you want to be a true leader. True leadership isn't about having great ideas, lots of people have great ideas. So I guess that's what I'd say.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I think the other part of it that you've done, you've always done extremely well that if other people have good ideas, you work with them to get their ideas passed and into law or getting things done. So that's also a part of leadership Uh, That a lot of people don't know and don't know that you've done for many many years So Denise I want to thank you very much for coming on Uh, Thank you for the service that you've been given to the state of Connecticut and thank you for me For the friendship that we've had for over these years. I appreciate it. So um, I want to remind the listeners to subscribe wherever Uh, they get their podcast. The podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, and anywhere else you can get podcasts. If you enjoyed the episode, remember to subscribe. Thank you all very, very much. And again, thank you, Denise Merrill.